You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Israel utility attack looks like ransomware. Update on Ukraine grid hack. ISIS information ops continue to look better than its hacking, but the cyber caliphate isn't giving up. They say they're going to take down Google. Dodgy apps for both Apple and Android appear, one from Apple. Oracle starts down the path of retiring Java browser plugins. Congress wants answers on Juniper's backdoored screen OS and gives federal agencies two weeks to come up with them. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, January 28, 2016. Yesterday's attack on the Israeli power grid turns out to amount to less than at first thought. The group attacked, the Israel Electric Authority, is a regulatory body whose network is quite unconnected to utilities networks, still less connected to control systems. The attack seems to have been real enough, but it also appears to have amounted to spear phishing with ransomware payloads, and that, of course, would account for why there was no effect on power distribution. The Ukrainian power grid hack remains both interesting and complicated. Reuters reports that another unnamed utility was compromised back in October, and that the attackers were able to gain access by exploiting users' naivete about phishing, and by utility network operators' willingness to connect control systems they ought by policy to have left air-gapped. The Black Energy 3 malware dropped by phishing payloads still does not strike investigators as directly implicated in control system manipulation. But researchers at Sentinel-1 have determined that Black Energy did include a network sniffer. A Ukrainian telecoms engineer has told the register that attribution of the attack to Russia is a provocation, a put-up job by Ukraine's government to whip up popular anger against its large and menacing neighbor. ESET, which did much of the initial investigation of the incident, when asked about the attribution, points out sensibly that attribution is a slow and difficult process. While the association of black energy with Russian threat actors is fairly well established, evidence of Russian responsibility for the attack remains circumstantial. But one would have to note that evidence of Ukrainian provocation is less than circumstantial, resting as it does largely on a theoretical possibility. The grid hack continues to alarm those who concern themselves with industrial control systems. There's much talk of the risks involved in networking such systems. And to take one expert's opinion, Rob Joyce, chief of the U.S. NSA's Tailored Access Operations, also known as TAO, yesterday told a conference in San Francisco that, quote, SCADA security is something that keeps me up at night, end quote. He commended the problem to industry and academic researchers. The ISIS-affiliated Cyber Caliphate is reported to be working on an unspecified attack against Google. Elsewhere on the ISIS cyberfront, the alleged security capabilities of the Al-Rawi messaging app, discussed recently by the Ghost Security Group, are now pretty conclusively debunked. Not even Ghost Security seems to believe they amount to much. 
So far then, ISIS cyber capabilities remain more aspirational than actual. Their information operation capabilities, on the other hand, remain very real. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant General Jim Dubik argues in an Army magazine opinion piece that winning against ISIS will require defeating the group's narrative. U.S. Secretary of Defense Carter has given Cyber Command marching orders to increase its operations against ISIS, and a passcode poll shows sentiment among influencers now running narrowly in favor of nudging tech companies to do more to impede ISIS messaging. In other cyber risk news, FireEye warns that JS Patch, an open-source hot patching tool available to apps in the Apple App Store, is vulnerable to exploitation. JS Patch could allow malicious actors to work around the review protections built into the Apple Store's walled garden. Oracle announces that it will deprecate the notoriously risky Java browser plugin with Java version 9 and will remove it entirely in a subsequent release. Heimdall warns of a renewed, vigorous CryptoWall 4.0 campaign and suggests that it might be preparing the way for a more dangerous CryptoWall 5.0 ransomware effort. Bleeping Computer reports discovery of a new ransomware strain, 7EV3N, we'll also call it 7, which is demanding a fairly pricey ransom, 13 Bitcoin, which comes to about 5,000 U.S. dollars. Symantec describes a new strain of Android ransomware, Android LockDroid E, which uses clickjacking to acquire admin privileges on the targeted machine. The malware is available as an app, but not, one is happy to note, from the Google App Store. So Android users beware of downloading dodgy apps from third-party stores or torrent sites. Members of Congress appear to have lost patience with U.S. executive agencies' failure to account for and report on their vulnerability to compromise through the back door in Juniper Network's Screen OS. The House Oversight and Government Reform Subcommittee on Information Technology wants answers within two weeks. The subcommittee chair, Texas Republican Representative William Hurd, takes to the Wall Street Journal's op-ed page to call the vulnerability, quote, the breach you haven't heard of, end quote. Homeland Security and other departments are investigating. Another rogue Google extension, iCalc, poses as a calculator app, but in fact, says researchers at Malwarebytes, installs spyware on unwary users' devices. In a minor cruel twist, it doesn't even function as a calculator. I mean, come on, criminals. Really? And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security 
by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com cyber. Joining me is John Petrick, editor of the CyberWire. John, in the global arena, what makes the U.S.-China relationship so challenging? There's nothing mysterious, really, about why it's challenging. You have two countries that aren't, they're not enemies. They're not adversaries in that sense. They're huge trading partners with one another. It's difficult to imagine the Chinese or the American economies without one another. They have diplomatic relations with one another. There are all kinds of exchanges between the two countries. There are all sorts of relationships there. But there's also this fraught competition. So there are competitors who depend upon each other. And that makes for a difficult relationship. And what are the Chinese capabilities in cyberspace? If you look at things that the U.S. Cyber Command has published recently, there's a lot of talk about the United States facing a, a peer competitor, a technological peer competitor in cyberspace. Peer competitor is an interesting term. The last peer competitor we had in general military terms was the Soviet Union. Mm. That Since the Soviet Union went away, the United States really hasn't had a clear peer competitor. So a peer competitor is somebody who has about the same kinds of capabilities that you have and can do many of the same things you can do. The, the People's Liberation Army and its uh, third department specifically, which is responsible for cyber, certainly has capabilities that are analogous to those that the U.S. Cyber Command has. And this goes beyond just your, your run-of-the-mill you know, spy versus spy espionage. Yeah, it does. The, the Chinese have explicitly avowed that they have an offensive cyber capability. That's a declared capability. They declared that last year formally. So they want people to know that. And there's every reason to think, there's no reason to think that they don't have that capability. They surely do. That kind of capability is more than just, uh, you know, the modernized version of old signals intelligence. This is the ability to damage systems, to manipulate information, to do all the sorts of things that we associate with offensive cyber operations. And what is the United States doing in terms of deterrence? For deterrence to work, and deterrence is a concept that really has its home historically in the Cold War. It's nuclear deterrence is where all these concepts developed. Hmm. So what you have, if you've got deterrence, is you fundamentally have two rational actors who are competing with each other. And each one is able to hold something vital of the others at risk, whether it be a capability, whether it be their people, whatever it is that they value, you hold it at risk. And the basic idea is that you're telling the opponent, I have this capability, and if you use your similar capability against me, expect retaliation. Or if you do these certain things, you can expect us to do this. And the goal is that they won't do it, that both sides will be deterred from acting this way. It's not clear yet how well that will work out in cyberspace, or even if it works out at all in cyberspace. All right. John Petrick, thanks for joining us. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. 
Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With identity orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K Cyberwire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes, and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.